Hey guys, it's uh, Andy here in another episode of the Mountain Malarkey Podcast with Dave. Hello everybody. Um, I think we're live, but yeah, if you are here, yeah, there we are, Davey Cliff, Marky V, all the guys. So yeah, welcome to today's Tuesday Tune-In. Um, first thing I want to say is um, Andy hasn't had an accident with a lathe and lost all his hair. Um, once again, Andy is globetrotting. So I've brought someone in who you guys may be familiar with. Some of you may have heard him. Uh, some of you may have met him. Um, but this is John, um, a.k.a. the Great Bald Yeti. Hello, all. Hello. Nice to, nice to finally be on a live. Yep, it is. Yeah, I mean, you've been on a, the comments a few times, haven't you? But now we thought we put you. Uh, so yeah, you'll, there's people here. You look, Bry Bry saying hello to you. Remember Brian? You did a run. Yes, I, I remember Bry very well, very well indeed. Yeah, you were yeah, one, you one of the lucky ones who got trapped in Nepal. Yeah, one of the lucky ones. Yeah, that went over there and got stuck there for a whole week. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was devastated. Absolutely devastated. Uh, no, sorry, I meant the bar was absolutely devastated. <laughs> um, yeah, he was incredibly happy. Um, but hey, Shona, hey, Amanda, Dave Rimington, Stu Taylor, Leah. Leah's from Australia, by the way. Um, yeah, Dave was on the track with us. What? Was it, was it Dave was on the track with us in 2019? Or was that a different Dave? Which Dave are you talking? Rimington? No, no, Rimington. that was Dave. That was another Dave. Dave oh, Rimington hasn't been on the track yet. But you can rely on Dave Rimington to um, screenshot us and make us look ridiculous on social media, John. Hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, Leah, actually, John, I was showing John my wall before we started. And um, yeah, see, this is the wall of things that I sort of apply. And uh, Leah sent this through. It's a koala. Can you see it, John? It's like a koala head. Yeah, it's like a disembodied koala. <laughs> we don't know where the rest <laughs> of the body is. But yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah, Dave Rimington is a uh, yeah the meme king. Um, if there's any situation due and alive where I'm going to look at all stupid, it will be... Um, edited and posted for posterity on the internet but anyway welcome to today's live so yeah andy's globe trotting again um i believe he is back next week but to keep things a little bit fresh and different i thought i'd bring john on and um one of the things that me and john i think perhaps talk about one of the top things is yeah we're gonna get back into training we're gonna get fit again when are we gonna get fit again let's stop eating cheese and get fit again <laughs> Um, so we thought about, yeah, we'll do a trip on training, uh, a trip, a, um, a live about training. Cause as trips are running, everything's going, um, really, really well. We've had many, I think a hundred percent success rate on Kilimanjaro so far, hundred percent success rate at Everest base camp. So one of the things I thought about is, um, yeah, that extra time you guys had during COVID is probably paying off, right? Because you've, uh, you're all absolutely smashing it. But one of the questions we do get, now we're getting a lot of new customers coming on, jumping on the lives, asking a lot of questions. And uh, one of the things um, that's coming up is, well, how fit do you need to be? It's something we've covered before, but we're going to cover it again because it is one of the perhaps biggest barriers people have in overcoming the anxiety about booking a trip and going to the Himalaya and things like that is how fit you need to be. Um, and so I thought I'd bring John on to show that, um, not very, right, John? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not not as fit as you think. Yeah, exactly. So, John, I should say, you've been to base camp twice now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2017, um, 2019. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about what training you did then before, uh, well, between each time. Was there a difference between the first and second time? Things you did differently? 
Um, I think there was. I mean, as you know, um, and we've talked about it on the lives before, I'm a big fan of cycling, um, both mountain biking and road bikes. Um, so the lead up to the first first trek, um, I spent a lot of time out on my bike, just as sort of standard, really. Um, and I felt that fitness definitely carried me through. Um, one of the things I like about um, bike fitness is it's not sort of out and out um, explosive fitness, you know, because you're out on the bike for a long time. It tends to be fairly uh, light resistance exercise, but you're on the bike for a long time. Um, and, and obviously when you're out in the mountains, you're out there for a number of days back to back and you're walking for hours at a time. So that type of fitness from my point of view really helped. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't so used to spending time on my feet though, leading up to the second trek, um, I was involved in a lot more of the um, Evertrek training weekends. So we were getting out multiple days back to back. I was um, <clears throat> starting to walk the dog a lot more, frankly. I'm, I'm fortunate to have a yeah. big hill out of the back of my house. So um, yeah, the second time round, I was taking a right to the top of the hill of a morning um, and back down again. And just time spent on my feet, I found the second trek just a little bit more comfortable, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it does make a big difference. And I think you're right. I myself, like everyone probably knows by now, is um, a big fan of the bike as well. Me and John used to do a lot of running together. Um, but I found that although running was really good for my fitness wise, I also probably carried, I was, I don't think I was ever really like niggle free, you know, and you know, you had sore ankles or knee, something like that, probably because I was too heavy for all the running I was doing. But I found <laughs> that, um, see tacit agreement there from John. So but, I don't um, just seem called you Hurst's comment. I love that. This does uh, time watching cycling count. Not, not entirely sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, if it inspires you eventually to get on the bike, it's time well spent, mate. It's time well spent. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where I think y you are right. It's not just about building sort of the cardiovascular fitness and stuff like that. There's a little bit of endurance in there as well. And being used to being, you know, supporting your own weight on your feet for long periods of time makes a big difference. But one of the things I'd say is I don't think me and you were ever sort of, you know, it's not like we could go out and run 10 miles when we did EBC. You know, it wasn't yeah. even, you know, I'm not even 100% sure I can remember us being capable of a 5K when we went. Um, but one of the big differences that I think I've, I noticed if I was watching your first two trips, I think the first time you went, you were probably about as fit as you were each time, give or take. But the first time you went way too quick, I think, if I remember rightly, didn't we? Like up the hills, up Namshi Hill. And, and I think that had an effect on you as well. Um, absolutely. I think it was day three. Um was it day three that we went up to Tangboche or day four? I can't recall anymore. Um, but I basically got myself in trouble that day. Um, I pushed it too hard. I uh, kept up with um, Raul, our, our guide at the time, um, yeah. uh, almost all day um, to the to the extent where he told me on a couple of times, you know, go go back, get in get in the group. You shouldn't be walking with me, basically. Um, and he was dead right because the day after and the day after that, I sort of suffered. I was having headaches and um, generally something that hadn't occurred to me because on the day that I was walking up to Tengboche, I was strong and fit and felt fine and, oh, this isn't as hard as, you know, I was expecting it to be. But the consequence was that, that day or two later when I'd pushed it too hard and, and the altitude caught up with me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I remember um, in Dingboche, um, that was probably one of the, the days when we arrived at Dingboche, which is the day after Tengboche. So you had to trek feeling rough. 
yeah. um, because because of the, the the speed that you pretty much went up to Namshi and then up to Tengboche. Because that is the tricky thing about those first sort of three days on the hill is that you you don't tend to feel the altitude to a really strong extent. So you start to think, and it's only natural that you just go at your pace, right? Which is, you know, you, when we're trekking back home in the UK, very rarely do we sort of trek to a prescribed pace that's, you know, slow enough that we look after ourselves. We're out for one day to, to see as much and do as much as we can. So we tend to kind of get a, get a move on. But actually, in, at altitude, when you're there for 11 days, you've got to think of day 11. Right from day one, you've got to think about that last day because it does have an accumulative effect. And um, it doesn't matter sort of how fit you are. In fact, this is where something Brian just said, actually, train hard, trek slow is a really, really good, really good mantra to have. Because if you train hard and trek fast, some of the fittest people I've known have been some of the first to turn back. Um, because altitude remembers, <laughs> you know, altitude will see your uh, your uh, your hubris on day one, two, and three, and will remind you of that fact on day four, five, six, seven, and eight up to base camp. So, yeah, it is a real big thing. Um, I should say, John, you've also booked on to Kilimanjaro next year, right? So, <clears throat> and what training yeah. are you going to be doing for that? Well, again, the the intent is very much to spend time out on the bike, um, but I need to. I feel I need to increase my walking again. I've I've got a bit lax, as you pointed out. Lockdown hasn't done me any favours, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> except for I found a stone. And um, yeah, so it's going to be back out on the walking, back out with the dog. Um, and I think just repetitive, getting out and doing walks and extending those walks as well. I mean, well, I I know it sounds walking the dog what's he talking about but I t like when i walk the dog i'm talking three and a half miles at a time um up to five or six miles uh, like when i've got time to do that if you, you know you need to make time to do those walks but yeah yeah no you're dead right and i think where, where like you know when you say to people like oh yeah i'm taking the dog for a walk there's a tendency to think that's kind of just frivolous and not exercise but it is exercise it's all about where you go and it's all about finding a reason to get out so i mean i personally think well, almost all of my training now has to be low impact training. Um, running's out of the question for me these days. Um, so all of my training is pretty much on the bike, but I have started going to the gym a lot more. So sort of three times a week, pretty much in the gym. And what I'm doing there is trying to just build endurance in my legs pretty much and, and I'll obviously compensate for the bad knee. Um, but doing a lot of leg exercises, squats, stuff that builds like the overall endurance and strength in your legs. And then pretty much I'll get all my cardio work from the bike. One of the reasons why I do recommend the bike, and I think, John, you'll agree with this. Um, anyone of you guys that's been to Altitude will know what it feels like to be moving incredibly slow, but to have a sky-high heart rate and be out of breath. Now, the best way that you can replicate that short of going to the Altitude Center and uh, is ride a push bike uphill. And I think you'd agree with that, John, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, and I think it's a point I forgot, actually. Um, first time round, the training of just getting out on a bike and pedaling uphill. And I mean, as you say, you, you're dead slow. Stop if, you know, even in your lowest gear, going up a really steep climb. And it's an absolute miserable time in your life until you're out in Nepal at altitude, feeling fairly similar, going a lot slower. But, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to ask Fraser Hall uh, posted a, a question there, and it's a question I actually asked myself um, about yep. do altitude masks work? So um, I was fortunate enough to be included in some of the training that you did with the guys in the altitude center that you just mentioned. Yep. And I asked that exact same question, 
the short answer is, uh, Fraser, they're a fad. Um, they told us that there's no scientific evidence to support that those altitude masks actually give you any benefit. They just make it harder to do exercise when you're exercising. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the phrase, uh, that was the uh, sorry, answer I got. So I'm, I'm sort of confident to share that. Yeah, no, you're dead right. I mean, I think one of the things that they do, obviously, you get the exact same effect breathing through a straw, you know, so um, they don't simulate altitude. The oxygen that you're breathing through that mask is oxygen that you've got from sea level or whatever you're actually stood at that time. So there's just a little bit less of it. Um, altitude has a different effect on the body because with each breath, there is less and less oxygen within it. That's one of the strange things about altitude, isn't it, John, that when you're breathing it feels exactly the same it's not like you can tell you at altitude from your breathing it's just that one of the examples that I always give is when I first notice I'm at altitude is um, if I'm at Nampshi which is usually when I first feel it um, when you go up the stairs I tend to have a little jaunt when I run up the stairs right so like you run up a flight of stairs now when you get to the top you sort of stop for a second and you're like oh, you know and, and that normally wouldn't happen um, and also when you're going uphill, um, you'll find that your, your quads start burning a bit sooner. So that you've got, got to bring it back down a bit. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I just noticed uh, Brybro asking the question then about when we're going in February, Dave. <coughs> we. Um, oh, right, yeah. I think it's towards mm -hmm. the end of February. I haven't got a set in concrete, set in stone date yet, have we? But it's going to be in uh, sort of. Yeah, yeah, I think it's sort of, yeah, potentially sort of February 2022, maybe the end of Feb, something like that. Um, or even 2023. Yeah, well, the thing is, I think we, we worked out, didn't we? Because I thought to myself, oh, maybe I'd like to sum it on exactly the same day again. But I think I summitted on a leap year, right? <laughs> yeah, what we you, told, you, you told me you wanted to summit again on the 29th of February. I was like, hang on a minute, that's going to be difficult. Yeah, so that's that's brilliant. So summited on a leap year. Didn't even know that until the other day when we realized. I don't know the dates. I can't figure out. You know, I, I've never really understood how people know off the top of their head how many days are in February, March, April, May. I know there's a rhyme and stuff, but I don't want to learn it. I'm too old for that. Um, hey, Max, how's it going? Um, uh, John, Max is on the live as well. Good yeah, yeah. Good to see. Thumbs up, Max, and um, Yeah, so bri bri again. When you're on the exercise bike and you think you're knackered, you're not. Give it another 10 minutes full steam. Yeah, that's uh, that is very, very, very true. One of the best exercises I actually find in the gym, to be honest, is the um, the step machine. You know, so the revolving staircase, the stairmaster. I I've yet to find something in the gym that replicates the way you feel hiking at altitude than that than the stairmaster. It's absolutely uh, brutal when it comes to it. Um, one of the things, John, I was going to say to you as well, like, is that a lot of people they have this phobia about being the slowest in the group about you know not being fit enough to be able to keep up with the with the front end of the group and things like that and you've been on Everest Base Camp twice and I think it's good you can share your experience of it because I always tell people but then I always wonder like I hope they understand I'm not just trying to sell these trips you know I'm trying to be honest <laughs> so I'll bring someone else on who has an independent um, despite his t-shirt an independent view um so yeah tell us what, what's your experience of that John like when you're on the also, well, uh, as we fairly neatly sort of covered there on on track one in 2017, I was far too eager um, and far too sort of full of my own capability to think. Well, I feel fine, so therefore I am fine, and not recognise as we've talked about already that the, the sort of cost on the following few days. Um, and on the second track, 
so both 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 occasions i was fortunate enough for your dad to be with us doug and he is as i think you've mentioned numerous times the slowest man on the planet yeah um, and his pace is the right pace so on trek two um i spent an awful lot more of my time at the back of the group with doug talking about where we were what we were seeing what we were doing what cup of tea we were going to have that night whether it was lemon and uh, honey lemon ginger or you know black tea whatever or ginger um, lemon honey ginger yeah <laughs> uh, you know, and, and the nice thing about it, one of the things I really want to emphasize about going out there is people worry about oh, where can I get Wi-Fi cards from? How can I stay connected and how can I, um, you know, do all the things that I normally do at home? But one of the real joys for me um, about being over there has been a sort of almost a lack of connectivity, um, not getting Wi-Fi cards, not being on Instagram or Facebook or whatever at the end of the night sitting down playing cards with the group of people i'm with um you know and enjoying the experience for for exactly that reason it's you, you slow down so walking slowly in the day brilliant sitting down chilling in the afternoons brilliant um so yeah i think it's difficult to get over yourself if you feel strong and fit and capable and everything uh, it's difficult to force yourself almost to slow down but it's worth it and there are there are real benefits to doing that yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the things actually that I think you've said that I don't know if I've ever said before, which is about the overall feel of the trip. It's far more enjoyable if you slow everything down. Um, it's a different pace of life out in the Himalaya. You know, you're not in the rat race. You're not rushing to go to work, rushing to go home, rushing to go to the gym. Everything's on a schedule. Um, you know, I know a lot of us live that way. But actually, when you're out there, there is no real schedule. I mean, you have a day-to-day -day schedule, but your only job that day is to get from A to B and you've got plenty of time to do it. It doesn't matter if you arrive at one o'clock, two o'clock or three o'clock. You know, you can take your time and enjoy the process of walking through the Himalaya. And that's one thing that I think people who get the most out of this trip, they adopt that attitude where they it's not about getting to base camp. It's not about a fitness goal that they want to achieve or an endurance challenge. It's an experience you know, and it's a traveling experience more than an actual, um, you know, there are some things that are, you know, when you top out on a mountain and stuff like that, it is an awesome achievement. And it is that. But the process of getting there doesn't have to be hectic. It doesn't have to feel like a rat race. You don't have to feel rushed. You can and you miss out on so much like the amount of laughs we've had and like good memories that we talk about, like some of the stories that me and John always throw back to each other, like hardly any of them ever take place at base camp, you know, like. The, the one we always come back to is the, the bucket shower in Tengboche, you know, which best, was the best. Best shower ever. Yeah. So that was amazing. So on the trip, we do get asked a lot of questions, actually. Can we have a shower? Can we do this? Can we do that? Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can't. It all depends what's available. Generally speaking, I don't. I tend to just use wet wipes. And then I got to the, I finished at Tengboche and I was in my room and I was having a bit of a wet wipe wash. John rushes in with a sort of panicked look on his face saying, Dave, 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 I've just booked us a shower. And I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered, John. <laughs> like, no, Dave, it's the best thing I've ever had. Dave, get out there. And I was like, John, I can't be. And he practically forced me out of the room, outside, you know, where it's freezing, into this tiny little wooden, like, box, just enough room for me in it, and this bucket of, like, steaming water and another little bucket inside. And I was like, oh, fine. Well, as I'm here... And I don't know how they managed this, but I scooped up the water, poured it over my head, and it was the single greatest experience of the whole trip. I mean, 
it was so good that I think we were telling everybody, everybody, go and get the bucket shower. Um, so, and this was when we stayed at Tengboche's. Uh, sometimes we go down to Dobouche's. I'm not tried it there, but honestly, the bucket shower is um, it's, it's crazy how happy it makes us. And when you tell people, they're often like, "Okay, Dave, how fun can a hot bucket of water be?" But I think it's I think it's what led to that bucket, John. I think it's the walk up Tengboche. It was like 30 degrees during the day, and then it got really cold when we got to the top. And this bucket was amazing. One of my favorite things about the bucket shower was John getting changed afterwards. Um, and I don't know if you realized, John, at the time, but like all the windows were open, just looking at you getting changed. And John just like literally strips off in the middle of the Himalaya and all of the uh, porters and guides that would sit there went, Yeti! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I remember um, a line of smiling faces at the window whilst I was standing outside the box, as you described it quite appropriately, standing on the grass, crying myself with all the guys staring at me. I thought, I don't care. I'm so happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> if, I can yeah. share, if I can share a little bit of that happiness, all the better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> James Ashley, what type of bucket was it? Uh, I'll be honest with you, red, <laughs> if I remember rightly. Um, it was you know, red, yeah. Yeah, good old-fashioned red bucket. But it was so crazy like how perfect this water was i've never managed to replicate it since in any share or bath i've ever had that water was the best um hey bob swenson that's a good question any recommendations for good wet wipes or is it best just to take a brillo pad <laughs> to be honest brillo pad might be a bit extreme mate you know you're going to need a lot of layer of that skin to keep you insulated um i tend to get just um the best sort of biodegradable type wet wipes i can find i can hear rosie cracking up over there i think she's reading a message <laughs> yeah. I'm really delayed. <laughs> oh yeah. So Rosie's watching us, but it comes through quite delayed. So I think I I think my Ramil, you said something a few minutes ago, and now Rosie's <laughs> laughing at it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Bob, I recommend just uh, wet wipes are really good. The one thing we do say about them though is that we don't. Uh, uh, I don't leave them on the mountain. So bring like a Ziploc bag or something, stuff them in. It becomes the bag of death, sure, but you just zip it back up again, throw it in your thing, and then get rid of it back in um, back in Kathmandu. But yeah, and it's um, honestly, yeah, it is little things like that that I really want people to go out there and experience because they'll have their own little stories. You know, um, one of the things I remember is um, one of the trekkers pulled out some tiger balm that he'd never used and didn't know really what it was. And um, all the porters were sitting around us, all we're all playing cards and chatting. And he pulls it out, gets like the biggest chunk on his finger that I've ever seen, and then just rubs it one under each eye. And I literally saw the porters go, <laughs> no, <laughs> like that. And then the next thing you know, you just see these, he's just sitting there trying to hide the fact that his eyes are on fire. In the end, he had to go to bed. And um, yeah, I, could, I couldn't stop laughing. Well, to be, to be fair, I remember that. And I think it was some bad advice that was given to him by one of the other guys in our group because he, he was struggling with the altitude a little bit as it was. He felt like he had a cold and he'd been told that Tiger Balm was a really good way to help. And when he said, where should I put it? And the, and the other chap in our group said, under your eyes, mate, joking, sort of sarcastic type comment. He went, OK, and <laughs> did it. And the rest of us watched on in horror. And yeah. Say, five minutes later, he was in his room on his own yeah in his own little thing hey dan's on the call as well uh dan is um he was on our trek with us awesome yeah good mate dan. dan and um he's asking a question um so after as you can see um 
I was going to do a competition, but I think it's too easy. Can, any, can anyone guess how John ended up with his Yeti name? Um, but I remember after the trek, John went to get his head shaved. And if you haven't seen the video, go to our Facebook page and scroll through the videos of John getting his head shaved. Um, it's, one not of so much, it's not so much the video of me that I think is funny. It's hearing you and Dan in the background giggling like girls as it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah one of the best things that's ever happened in my life but yeah this is it again i know that's back in Kathmandu, and i know these stories are not strictly related to training but in a way they adopt the mindset which is out there to have fun out there to kind of have these experiences and have these laughs and things like that and um and just help your fellow man actually the one story me and john have from base camp is when uh, there were some trekkers there and uh, they they didn't have any water Remember, John? And so I think your oh. solution was to give them all of your water. And then you were like, where's my water? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I was absolutely um, dumbfounded that these guys, and they'd, I, I, they'd done a higher pass as well to get to base camp. Yeah. Um, and they arrived with zero hydration on their, on them at all. And, and I think this girl was still carrying an empty sort of litre plastic bottle that she'd taken with her, yeah. um, which is woefully inadequate. I can't... I can't express enough. If, I mean, it's not training. <clears throat> okay, I appreciate, but I can't express enough how drinking water all day, every day when you're out there is absolutely necessary and the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I didn't believe you when you told me drink water, you need to be drinking four or five litres of water a day. I was thinking, that's madness, no way. Um, <clears throat> that helps your body to acclimatise. So if if you're one of these people who I've turned into recently, who only has three or four cups of tea a day and forgets to drink water and whatever, um, I would actually recommend practicing drinking water. You know, you can get those plastic bottles, which you've got a sort of eight, nine, 10 a.m. and then a one, two, three, four o'clock mark on them and try and get used to drinking, you know, a couple of those a day. A, it's good for you anyway, but B, when you're out there, I would expect anybody here to be, carrying a hydration pack with two to three liters of water on it i will say my personal experience i get through those two to three liters in the morning we stop at lunchtime i get it refilled by the guys through one of those filtration systems and i drink it again by the afternoon yeah so yes yeah, that's that's a really worthwhile thing to do Blast yeah. training. yeah agree yeah yeah <laughs> honestly it, it, you're not wrong though i mean getting used to thinking <laughs> like, bri, bri, yeah i know that you've had plenty of experience in in uh, in getting the drinks down you yeah yeah brian is um yeah he, he stays hydrated um ra rather efficient <laughs> i think it is right though like getting used first of all if you don't drink a lot of water be a shock to the system trying to get it down you when you're over there because you've got to drink loads and i think yeah get two liters a day practice getting two liters a day down um i also think squash helps as well um anything that you can add flavor to um just water helps <laughs> yeah otherwise you just like a just drink the hot water bottle in the morning <laughs> Yeah, Andy McNaughton Jones is dead right there using squash concentrate. You can get those little squirty Robinsons ones. I think Aldi also do their own as well. Um, it makes so much difference, or like even some sort of um, uh, tablets so you can put in there, effervescent tablets and things, um, makes a big difference. But um, awesome. Um, I think what we'll do, John, we'll, we'll get to some uh, questions. Um, I've got some on the emails first uh, we can tackle. Um, so this one's from Robert Queen. What is the best equipment I would need if I if I win? Hopefully I've crossed. My, hang on a minute. Is this the last? Is this last week's? What day is it today? Do you know what I've done again, John? I've started reading the text from last week again. Okay, here we go. This one. Um, 
Okay, so actually, first thing I'm going to do is I'll talk about one issue that popped up on the High Altitude Evertrekkers group. I believe it's been affectionately named Baggate. Now, what happened was someone asked a question about bags on the Ever on the High Altitude Evertrekking group, and it was about the duffel bags that you get when you book an Everest Base Camp trip. Um, we give out the free bags to people when they arrive in Kathmandu, and it was asked whether or not you know, when do you get them? Where do you get them? And all this sort of stuff. So yeah, just to clarify. So if you do book onto um, Everest Base Camp or any of Annapol trips, you do get a free bag, a duffel bag, but an 80 litre duffel, pretty well made as well, um, when you arrive in Kathmandu. Now, it was asked, why don't we give them out before in the UK? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, um, it's always been part of our philosophy and a part of our sort of ethos that we don't just want to sort of travel to these places get what we can and then leave. We want to benefit the communities that help us. We want to sort of give back to the countries that have given us so much. Um, and yeah, so we want to help out those local tradespeople. And there are people in Kathmandu that rely on the tourism for trade. Um, and we use those guys to make the bags and then we give them to you guys when you arrive in the port. It's win-win. The customers get a free bag and um, the local tradespeople like in Kathmandu, they get the work as well, and they get the regular work. So every season, the supplier that we use knows that, you know, there's probably like four or 500 bags every season So um, that he's going to be producing for us. Um, so, yeah, that's the reason why we do it. Secondly, we don't have, A, the space in the office to keep a 1,000 bags. And secondly... Um, sending them out to people like whenever we send things out it's a huge logistical problem to solve and the easiest way to do it is just to get people to get them when they're over there so yeah that's why we do it but yeah it's primarily to look after the guys that look after us that's it i'd, I'd like to add to that as well um <clears throat> my personal experiences again were really really useful to have that extra bag to take the stuff up to base camp because i ended up leaving quite a lot of my personal belongings that i'd taken close to where around Kathmandu, scruffs and all the rest of it. I left those in my duffel that I'd taken with me in the hotel. And then the Evertrek duffel came with me up to base camp and back. So yeah. you actually do need that second bag anyway. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, the other thing is as well, I can see a couple of people asking questions. So at the moment, we've only got the facilities to give those bags away in our Nepal trips. Um, we are working on developing the same relationships with the same suppliers in all the other countries, but it, it's just one of those things that takes time. You know, um, we did Everest Base Camp was the first thing that we started doing way back when we started the company. And um, yeah, it took us some time to get there, but we will get there with the other ones as well. Um, but in any respect, you can always rent those things really easily locally. And our teams in all the local countries will um, will help you out with that as well. Um, brilliant, brilliant use of your bag there. Um, is it James, Lord James, Andrew, Ashley? Oh, yeah, yeah, Lord Sending James. Lord James, Lord James to you, John, Lord James. <laughs> yeah. No, I've just, um, I just actually sent off my um, my Evertrek um, insulated jacket that I bought. Um, I mean, I originally bought it to, to try and support the Nepalese and the, and the guys, the guides who didn't have work at the time. Um, I thought it was a great jacket, and that's just been sent off um, over to try and help the guys uh, in the Ukraine as well. Yeah, no, I love that idea that it's actually, you know, one one jacket that was bought is now actually going on to help more and more people. I wonder what that <laughs> that, that jacket is going to have one hell of a story and is going to have helped so many people by the time it reaches the end of his life. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, another question um, come through on email from Stuart Taylor. He's not booked on any international trips at the moment as it's been a tough year and he needs to sort his house out and children and work. 
all of that stuff. Uh, his question to you um, is on training, for instance, on Kilimanjaro uh, with the microclimates you were climbing in. What would be the effect to air intake at low level trekking in hot weather? Wow, this is this is technical. Um, to possible freezing on the summit, does this make a big difference on your breathing ability? To make okay, so I think what you're asking there is so yeah, Kilimanjaro, you go through quite a few different um, sort of uh, zones, they call it. At the beginning, you've got like cultivated zone, which is almost farmland and then forestry. And then um, right at the top, you've got glacial and things like that. And then you've got alpine desert. And yeah, there is these microclimates on Kilimanjaro. Honestly, I don't think it makes much of a difference. Um, if you've been trekking in the UK and you've trekked in hot weather, cold weather, wet weather, it feels much the same. Um, with regards to the altitude, um altitude is pretty much um is it is what it is it's not really affected by the temperature at least not in my um opinion i don't think it was something that was at the forefront of my mind there may be sorry there may be some science um that i'm unaware of that'll kind of explain why it does but when i climbed kilimanjaro it was 30 degrees at the beginning it was minus 15 at the top and then it was 30 degrees back at the bottom again so we had a huge temperature swings um and i never noticed uh, any effect on my breathing during those things um only the usual altitude stuff so awesome uh john i'll fire one at you mate why not i have no idea what this is going to be as well uh so this is from magda um i'm sure Hi, this magda. is a question I'm sure this is a question that's been asked many times before. What type of training can you recommend to prep? Is it cardio and lower body strengthening exercises? Please, can you share any tips uh, that someone with zero experience um, would not have thought of? Um, yeah, I'd say um, lower body strength exercises, great. Um, core exercises, not going to do you any harm if you're happy to exercise in the house. But I mean, personally, if, if you're not, Got not got any experience at all. Time in the boots that you're going to trek in, out walking. I think hands down, that's going to be the best best exercise you can do. Um, if you've got a push bike and you enjoy riding, or if you're a gym member and you want to do some uh, endurance training, as we talked about earlier on, get out on the push bike or get on a on an exercise bike in the gym. That'll be really really good for you. Um, but yeah, I've walked now from from doing the training weekends. Um, I've been out with a, a few people now, it surprised me really, um, who hadn't walked up hills. They just live in flat areas of the country and they don't have hills and mountains to go out to easily on the weekend or whatever. Um, so them coming out on our training weekends, getting up the hills, um, and really experiencing some sort of different weather than what they were used to walking in and what have you. It, it, the confidence that they left the weekend with compared to what they arrived with was really obvious and evident to me. So don't be scared to walk in any conditions. I mean, we can't control the weather, right? So these guys, they're, they're great at booking the trips. They're great at providing all the support and all the rest of it. They can't guarantee the weather. When in 2017, when we were coming back from base camp, one of the longest, well, it was in fact the longest day, the final day back to Luckler. And it was absolutely pouring with rain by the end of it. All of our kit was sodden. Um, so you've got to be used to walking or try and get yourself used to walking in all conditions. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's well answered. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think, um, and if you are struggling to find all those conditions, just come to Wales. <laughs> um, yeah, because we are a semi-aquatic people. Um, yeah, it rains more than it doesn't over here. So yeah, I mean, John, me and you have joked about it a few times when we've been trekking. We've got a couple of specific treks that we like to do up in Brecon. 
Um, and I remember one time we started and it was really nice weather. Then it snowed. Then it was misty. Then it was nice again at the end. Um, and it really does replicate the sort of experience you'll find in the Himalaya. In fact, one day on the Himalaya, John, do you remember me and you, I believe it was our first trip walking back from base camp. And we were like, we could be in Brecon right now. <laughs> like we were on this like grassy area full of mist and rain. And it was, um, yeah, that was very Brecon-ish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, quick question. So oh, I wanted to ask a question. Sorry, Joel um, Palmer, I think it was asked <clears throat> what the worst food was on one of the tracks up in the mountains. Just want to bring up um, egg drop soup. Egg drop soup. Yeah. Pretty rough. Pretty don't, bad. Don't, um, don't do we, that. Egg, egg drop soup. Egg drop soup. Yeah. I'd be inclined to agree there, John. I mean, we didn't try the wasabi coated cuttlefish we found in Namshi. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we, drew, we drew the line at that. I do, do recommend. Yeah, and we didn't try the dried hygienic meat. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. If you go into some of the shops in Namshi, little like I suppose the equivalent of like a little corner shop, um, they sell some amazing things. And uh, the wasabi coated cuttlefish definitely caught our eye. But we decided to leave them on the shelf because uh, you know it was it was on the way up. We had a long way to go. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, Leah, I got two questions here, John. This happens every week, by the way. I get asked about the old knee. Um, how's the knee? Uh, had an MRI, was it last Tuesday? Potentially might need another operation on it yet. We don't know. Um, yeah, pain in the ass, if you ask me. Um, I'd rather just, you know, stick a metal one in. Anyway, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, Adam, Mark, Mark EV has asked a quick question. I mentioned a knee sleeve last week. Can you recommend which one? Um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to post a link to Rosie in the chat we use and then she can post it to you actually no maybe i can put it in you can i do it yeah well i could do it check that out right marky v i've just posted a link there it says from host active 650 um i don't have any shares in the company or anything like that um my dad bought one and it's really good and then that's the one that i've used as well um yeah awesome uh, try it out. It's uh, I use it on the bike. I use it in the gym. I use it if I'm going on any long walk. I use it if I'm going to be spending a lot of time on my feet, and it really, really does help. Um, let's have a quick look. Uh, John. Yeah, so I know I somebody else. Sorry, David, keep interrupting you there. Somebody else Mate, mentioned you... they'd had um, cortisone injections, I think it said, uh, in their knees. And I wanted to mention my cousin actually came with us on the last track that we did as well. Um, he's a landscape gardener and has been for a long, long time, and both his knees are effectively shot now. Um, the entire trek from Luckler to base camp and back, he wore knee supports on both legs. Um, he wore shorts all the time as well, but I think that's because he's a bit of a lunatic. But no, he wore knee supports all the way up, all the way back down. Um, and I don't think without them, he would have actually made it. By the time we were coming down, oddly, and I think Dan, if he's still on the call, um, would agree to this, attest to this as well. Um, the way down, both those guys were struggling with their knees by that point. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, knee supports. If you if you do have trouble with your knees, take knee supports with you just in case. Yeah. Even if they're even if they're basic ones. Yeah, exactly. They they do make a big difference. And again, you know, we'd rather have them and not need them than need them and not have them. You know. Um, all right, awesome, uh, John. I'm going to throw another one at you. This is what I do, John. Right, unprepared. You don't know what's coming. Um, Andy Cock uh, Corran has asked, uh, would you advise to take pound sterling or dollars to Nepal? Dollars. Um, dollars. Yeah. 
And he's also, I'll answer this one as well, because I'm not sure if you know the answer. Uh, well, you do. As generously as possible is the answer. Here's the question. I'm doing it weird. Uh, how much should you tip the guides uh, for Ultimate Island Peak? Normally, we say about 10% of the trip cost in full. So if your trip for uh, Everest Space Camp is 1,700 quid, 170 pound. Um, and then generally what happens then is everyone kind of like puts them together um, and hands and then gives those out. There is a slight hierarchy. So lead guide gets the most, assistant guides, porters. Um, if you're a little uncomfortable dealing with that type of thing or you're not 100% sure, you can just pull the lead guide across. They know the score. They know what's happening, and they'll be happy to uh, to assist you with that. Um, uh, I got something, actually, that Rosie's uh, – I've got a verbal elbow in the ribs, but I'm going to save it to the end because um, we're nearly there. But we're going to fire through, John. I'm going to give you some quick fires. Um, uh, let's have a look. For what weight is best to carry to prep for EBC? So Fraser Hall, what weight is best to carry to prep for EBC? Oh, got a quick fire. Sorry. Um, anything between five and 10 kilos, around the yeah. five, five, seven kilo mark. Yeah, yeah, that's a good answer. Um, let's have a quick look. Uh, just really well done to Dave Rimington and uh, Leah. Um, they're um, doing... Uh, so they're basically, if you check out Leah's Everest, um, I think it's on Instagram, Facebook, they've done over 400 plus miles since New Year in preparation awesome. for that. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. They've probably got the fittest dogs on, uh, in Britain. Um, let's have a quick look. Leah has said, what about a steer mill for EBC? Yeah, Leah, I'm not sure. I'm, I think I already mentioned it, the steer master, steer mill. Basically, if it's a revolving staircase in the gym, it's, gonna, it's, it's essentially torture. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely brilliant for um training for ebc but in particular because the land is just stepped there you know so all you feel like you're doing is going up and down steps up and down steps um yeah and particularly on the glacial day as well when you arrive at ebc it's very rocky very glacial um there's a little bit of sort of clambering over things and stuff like that um yeah it makes a big difference um let's have a quick look now sophie hurst is uphill on the treadmill any good doing it right now on the highest incline. So give Sophie some uh, John the treadmill right now, John, as we speak. We <laughs> yeah, know, I know what absolutely. that level of misery is like. I, I know. I noticed that comment earlier on. Yeah, absolutely fantastic effort, Sophie. And yes, it's definitely, definitely worth doing. Awesome. Uh, I actually awesome. just thought of, by the way, when we were talking about it, um, and I did mention it earlier on about the fact that Dan and Edwin were struggling on the way down. Um, yeah, if you live in an area where there are hills um, and you can practice walking downhill, do so. Um, and again, I emphasise try and do it in the boots you're going to take with you to EVC. Um, walking downhill sucks, and it's actually far worse than walking uphill. Um, so, yeah, get your boots on and walk up and downhills. Yeah, exactly. And if you do have any trouble as well, um, trekking poles as well is another thing um, that we use. You know, um, when you're going uphill, you can get your arms involved in the process, um, and it really does help. Going downhill is when I tend to use them more because – you extend them slightly, put them out in front of you. There is some stats out there that vary, but essentially about 30% of the impact of each knee if you're using trekking poles. Um, over a short hike, you might not notice much difference, but over an 11-day Everest Base Camp trek, if you're using those all the time, um, it'll make a big, big difference, and you'll feel, you really will feel a lot better at the end, or at least not as bad as you would have done otherwise. One thing we talk about with Nepal is that even when you're going up, there are going to be days when you go down. And even when you go down, there are going to be long climbs. It's never just up or down. It's uh, nepali flat, as they call it. Um, so we've got a couple of questions on food, actually. Actually, I'll do a really quick one. Um, Joel Palmer's asked, is there anywhere in Tamil where you can get your ears cleaned? 
So I don't doubt it, mate. I've never thought of it myself. Um, but you saw it on a travel show and it looked awesome. Do you know what? Ask our guys out there, the team, Anuj, the team in the hotel, they'll be able to hook you up. Um, George Dodds has asked, uh, what's the bag weight limit for the flight to and from Lukla? So it's 15 kilos, but that's your duffel bag and your uh, day pack combined. Um, they weigh the bags, not you. So make sure you've got your boots on, make sure you've emptied water at your water bottles. And if you have a heavy camera or something like that, put it around your neck and stuff like that. Um, because if you are overweight, you might let them on. But if the whole plane itself is overweight, they'll take the heaviest bags off and they'll be left there. And you don't necessarily find that out until you arrive at the other end. Um, and they will eventually make their way to you, but they've got to find a flight where they, they're not going to put the, the bags over the weight limit. So yeah, it's, it's a real logistical nightmare. So be quite ruthless with what you choose to take and what you choose to leave. Um, Oh, we've done this, John. Joel Palmer's asked again, what's the worst food on the trip? We've gone with egg drop soup, right? Egg, egg drop soup, yeah. Well, I think there were actually um, living organisms in the one bowl of egg drop soup that I saw, so. Yeah. Awesome. Another one. Um, what snack stuff is best to take uh, to EBC? Sean Wall is asking this. Um, or are you better off getting stuff once you're there? What do you reckon, John? So, well, you know me. Um, both occasions I've bought big um, like kilo bags of, <laughs> of um, boiled sweets, which I buy in Kathmandu, take with me. They're fantastic for handing out to um, the kids when you're out there because there's loads of kids running about the place. And it's really good fun on the trek on the way up. Um, but equally, when you start to get to altitude, A, you're struggling, and B, everyone else around you is struggling. You want to see the smile on someone's face when you hand them a boiled sweet. Um, so <laughs> I, I love carrying boiled sweets for that reason, and I give them to everybody that I see. Um, and I took... Um, uh, cliff bars. I bought a big, so I think it was a 12 pack or 15 pack or something of cliff bars with me. Other bars are available. Um, but basically, anything high in protein, high in sugar. Um, you want sweet, you want tasty when you're out there. I bought those in the UK and took them with me. Yeah. But again and again, I remember the 2017 trek. You told me yourself, actually, there are supermarkets in Kathmandu um, and you can rock up and buy as many like Snickers bars or Mars bars or whatever stuff like that you want. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, it's whatever, when people say whatever the best um, food to take is. Sorry a minute, I made a mistake and I didn't have myself a drink. I can't talk for nearly an hour without a drink. Um, I actually bought this for Jen, so she's going to shout at me. I'll have to go and get her another one. Um, yeah, so I uh, an, actual, uh, an old Marine, an old Marine, used to be a Marine, he's not old, um, told me one time that the best food you can take with you on a trip is actually the food you're going to eat and you're going to enjoy um you know so make sure you take stuff as well that sort of like raises the morale makes you feel better a lot of people take paribo tangtastics you know because you you kind of you crave that sort of like sour because you don't really get much of that um a lot of people bring beef jerky because we do recommend a vegetarian diet whilst you're in the mountains just to uh, prevent any sicknesses um so a lot of people if they if they can't really go without their meat they'll crack out some beef jerky and things like that um like john said sweets and things just um, I usually bring some drumsticks and refreshers and stuff like that. And the kids love them as well. Like when you meet some of them, the kids in and around uh, the villages where we go, yeah, it makes a big difference. Um, yeah, Robert Smith, Robert Smith. Said, yeah, we did. Um, I, I took energy gels. And in fact, um, just because talking about the whole taste thing, if you like them, fantastic. But um, one of the guys who was with us ended up giving me, I think it was 15 energy gels when we got back. Um, on the way down to Lukla because he just couldn't stand the taste of them and hadn't eaten them. And I ended up trying to offload them to the portals and stuff. They didn't want them either. 
But yeah. yes, you can take them. They're fine. Honestly, as well, I do think they make a difference when you're really shattered. You know, when you're if you have sometimes you just end up either you 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 had a light meal or whatever you just haven't you're not firing on all cylinders. Um, I usually find the last day between Namshi to Lukla is where I'll have like more gels than I've had on the entire trip the day before because that one last day is a little bit of a slog. Um, but yeah. Um, so someone's actually asked how much is the, the bag weigh? And I'm pretty, so that was Pixie who's asked that. And I'm pretty certain I've seen the answer because <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, 1.3 kilograms. Thank you, Shona. Shona's like a... I don't know. Like she knows more about this stuff than I do. I swear. I do. Like and 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 this is and I have this is my day job. So Shona actually does something else and still retains all of this. So yeah, big big respect to Shona. And also we did have Baggate yesterday, which made me laugh when I heard that term. Um, yeah, with regards to the the, the group guys, you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of you always keep it positive, always keep it upbeat, and that's what we're after. You know, it's a place away from all the negativity and trolling and all of that nonsense you know it's a place where you can you can share an opinion but always be kind and respectful and and if you have a negative thought or comment you feel like you want to take or say just keep it to yourself shout it into a pillow it's not for our group our group's a good place um uh, well, what so... a fantastic tip from Dave there. Um, Dave Rivington mentioned that <clears throat> a Gurkha mate of his recommended taking some small tins of lunch and meat to add to the dial back. Dave, why didn't you tell me to do that before we went on the two treks that we've done? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be honest, I totally forgot. Yeah, but spam, basically, John. Yeah, spam. Yeah, yeah, mate, um... honestly, like, I mean, because like, you know me, I'm a big advocate of dial back. I absolutely love dial back. I attempted to eat only dial back on our last trek. Yeah. I lasted three days. <laughs> But I think yeah, but lunch to, and meat could that could have tipped me over the edge, man. That could have made the difference. To be fair, though, that was like three dalbats a day for three days. It's a lot of dalbats. <laughs> and what made me laugh with John is that the one dalbat he um, when he decided not to have it, <laughs> we stopped at a place we don't normally stop in, and we had the best dalbat we've had in the whole trip with this fresh homemade chutney on the side that was nice and spicy. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And John sat there with his um, tin spaghetti. So awesome. Um, Oh, okay, somebody John. asked somebody. Sorry, I wanted to jump in again. There, somebody asked a question about spicy food earlier. Um, the dal bat isn't particularly spicy. I don't think you need to be worried about that. And if you want to make it spicy, there's an option to have chili sauce, which generally you get told you're not allowed to have on the way up, just in case it makes your tummy bad. Um, yeah. But if you want to avoid spicy, avoid the beef ramen noodles. Um, mm. I absolutely love the beef ramen noodles, and I've discovered that you can buy them in a shop called B and M Bargains. Um, so that's fantastic for me. But if you don't like spice, don't eat those because they are properly spicy. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, those spicy noodles are fire water. Um, I remember I tried some of yours and I was like, nope, under no circumstances. That's 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 hell to pay if you have that. In, in, in our group last time, uh, when we discovered them, when we first ordered them, like four or five of us ordered them at the same time. Um, so we, we didn't know what they were. We didn't know what to expect. And they came out. I ended up eating four bowls of beef ramen noodles. It was a great day. Yeah, from, I mean, that is, <laughs> that is funny. I remember when my dad ordered, um, what did he order? There was like a like a curried rice and he asked for it with chips and they put with cheese. So we had like this curried rice with as much yak cheese as is possible for a human being to consume all over the top of it. Um, it was pretty it was pretty intense, man. I mean, I, I, I couldn't sit next to him when he was eating it. Um, right. Uh, 
John, I'm going to butt in because literally Rosie's going to throw a cup at me or something if I don't say this. But we are um, doing a pub quiz to, as many of you uh, may very well know, we are supporters of Brecon Maintenance Rescue and the work that they do. Um, you know, it's had a, we were lucky enough to go up there and meet those guys. John, you were there briefly as well. Um, but we chatted about a lot of their equipment, a lot of their needs, What, but more importantly, what they do for the for the community, really. And it sort of re reopened my mind because I don't know why when I think about mountain rescue, I just kind of think like, you know, man stuck on a hill, right? But it's not. They help the community in so many ways. It's unbelievable. They had a story about um, an elderly gentleman who was, um, I think maybe had Alzheimer's or something like that, and they couldn't find him. They go to the police, but the police think, you know, okay, it's got to be so long before they actually pursue it. And they've got so many other things to do. Well, Brecon Mountain Rescue, they found him, you know, they and uh, there was a cool story about how they saved a dog. But also as well, um, our very own uh, Rosie has a really, really touching and quite important story as well about Brecon Mountain Rescue and how they've affected her life. Um, and yeah, so in order to benefit these guys, we are going to be doing a pub quiz. It's in Whitchurch in Cardiff on the 31st of March. All proceeds and everything that we can get from it will be going um, directly to those guys so they can continue doing the awesome work that they do. So if you can make it to Whitchurch in Cardiff, a pub called The Plough. Is this right, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah Ali is going to put, put it up on social media. Um, yeah, so, um, oh, by the way, they've all noticed the doorbell. Yes, that is Penny, by the way. When you hear the doorbell, that's Penny, the ever dog, coming back in. Um, yeah, so if you guys can make it to Cardiff on the 31st of March, come to Whitchurch, come to a pub called The Plough, a pub called The Plough, come to a pub called The Plough and join in with us. It's going to be a laugh. We're going to have a couple of drinks and have some fun, get to know each other a bit more and uh, yeah, do some awesome uh, uh, fundraising for the guys at Brecon Mountain Rescue as well. Awesome. Um, right. I think that's pretty much it, John. I think that's it. Um any last words, John? Andy normally puts me on the spot with that one. <laughs> uh, nothing that springs to mind. Uh, Andrew oh. Scott, I don't know. I hadn't noticed that I hadn't blinked for quite a long time, but I'm quite pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have I been was... mistaken for a serial killer once, once or twice. Yeah, well, yeah, I have as well, actually. I've been told I've got rest in serial killer face. Um, and I was like, well, if the shoe fits. I've, I've, got, I've been told I've got rest in something face, but it wasn't serial killer. Yeah, I, I think of it more like an upside down head. Because <laughs> all, all the hair is at the South Pole when it should be at the North Pole, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, awesome. Anyway, John, thanks for joining us, mate. We'll get you on again soon. Hey, thank um, you so much for having me. It's been really good fun, actually. I really enjoyed this. Awesome. And everyone, thanks for joining in. Don't forget the pub quiz. Find it on social media on Arrow One. We're going to be posting it all over the place. And um, yeah, come see us in person. John will be there. He doesn't need much of an excuse. <laughs> right. See you guys. See you next Tuesday. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Awesome. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, another episode of the Mount Malarkey podcast. Um, yeah, that was something a little bit different, wasn't it, from the Tuesday tune-in, but I hope yeah. you enjoyed it. I must say, you were brilliant on that episode, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. Now, if, uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Um, you know, all these uh, podcasts we put together, the episodes, trying to reach as many people as possible. And if it's helped you, leave us a lovely review. Um, and yeah, we'll see you again next week. Yeah, all the best, guys. Bye. I'm going to go to the hospital.